0: Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English Football Pyramid. On today's episode, we'll take a look back at the key action from the Premier League, including Arsenal's late win versus Man City to blow the Premier League wide open, 10-man Tottenham win at Luton to top the league, and McTominay at the double to rescue United. We'll review some of the key games from across the wider EFL, and Laurie will talk us through Yeovil's win via Averley, which now takes them to the top of National League South. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, we'll start at the Emirates. Arsenal one Man City 0. Not the best game ever, but Loro uh, opened the Premier League right up.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a really boring game, as I think most people did. Boring for the neutral. Um, And uh, like I was just saying, I I think it shows how much Pep Guardiola rates Arsenal, the the respect that he gives them with the way that they set up yesterday. And I know T-Girl's talked about Man City being a little bit more pragmatic now with sort of four centre-backs playing, but they just don't go anywhere and i thought yesterday there was a big disconnect between the forward players and the the uh, defensive players and they i think they had one shot on target all game or something and we said before rodri um would be a miss for them and they had, i think they've won all th- uh, lost all three domestic games they played without him but yesterday i thought it was kevin de bruyne um, that they missed, just someone that could create a chance or find a ball through to Haaland or just do something that maybe last season, the season before, they'd have won those kind of games, 1-0, 2-0. And someone like Gundogan as well, I think I said last week. So they need Rodri back and they need KDB back as quickly as possible. Um, I didn't think Arsenal were brilliant either. Yeah, massive bonus for them and it's great. We've got two teams ahead of Man City in the league now going into the Octo International break.
2: Tomo? Uh, yeah game. Completely agree with Laura. uh I actually thought Arsenal started very nervously. Um, David Rea with a few shaky moments. And like Laura said, I think if, if City were full strength, especially in that first half, they would have took advantage. Um, but they didn't take advantage. And then obviously seemed like it was going to be playing out to a ball, nil-nil draw. And when you sort of play out a nil-nil ball draw... What it it means that one sort of slight deflection can go against you, and all of a sudden, you just you just lost the game. It's a, it's a great result for the Prem. Um, I was convinced after about 20 minutes, though, that um, Mikel Arteta was going to back up his words and substitute the goalie. I don't know about you boys. Um, Sky do this thing now when every basically, whenever David Rea does a, anything, if he makes a good save or if he fumbles or or his put kicking's poor or whatever. They they pan the camera to Ramsdale to see what his reaction is. Um, but I guess that's the sort of um, what should we call it? Like the not storyline, but that's the sort of thing that Arteta's forced upon us um, by bringing in Raya. Um, but he got away with it really because if City scored from one or two of those mistakes, then for the next two weeks, that's all we talk about, and that's all we talk about. Um, and that I guess that's the life of goalkeeper, really. If he if one of those mistakes ended up in a city goal, then it's like, well, Roundsdale absolutely has to start the next game. Um, but just because City didn't take advantage, and one of the main reason I would say City didn't take advantage was because they didn't have the Bruyne on the pitch. He was perfect for that game. Um, but yeah, look, listen, there's not really too much to add. Um, great result for the Prem. We need. It seems like a team like Arsenal, anyone really, needs to be sort of between ten and seven points ahead going into Christmas just to have a chance. So it's it's good to see. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what you think about the the rare Ramsdale stuff, Murphy. What did you think of that?
0: I I just think we we discussed it a bit now, and and Laurie kind of ingest said that. Uh, Raya's got a bit more of an exotic name and can play out from the back, but that generally seems to be what Arteta is going to go for. I don't know what Raya would have to do to not come back in, unless he has some like Onana-style form, where then you have got an actual genuine backup who can come in. I just don't see, don't see him coming out of the side. Raya, you know, Ramsdale hasn't even started the Champions League games as he, you know, Rahej just come in and from that moment take the number one spot. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really see too much into that unless is going to start making some clangers and they start dropping some serious points on it. Do you, know, do you know what I will say, actually,
2: about this game, albeit it was pretty boring? If Arsenal win the league this year, if they go on to win the league, they'll have three main players to thank for it. And it'll be Saliba, Gabriel and Declan Rice. Those three players, like, both of those centre-halves yesterday were unbelievable. Didn't give Haaland a sniff. And then Declan Rice, if he can just stay fit all season, he puts in a 7-8 every single week. I've never I've never really seen him have a stinker. And just like the Arsenal team yesterday, he started off slowly, first 20 minutes, 25 minutes, but grew into the game and just sort of um, grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. He, he sort of seems to be playing... Like a hundred and five was it 105 million, yeah. So he seems like a like a bargain at that. And if, if they go on to win the league with those three players in the sort of um the cent center of the pitch, I think they'll like they'll have a lot to say um in that title race because they look great. And and actually I listened to an interview with Saliba a couple of weeks ago, I think it was in the last international break, and he said, he basically said this how confident he said he, he sounded, he said if he didn't get injured at the end of last season he thinks that arsenal would have won the league that's how sort of much he backs himself and i can't lie every time i watch him i think he is like virgil van dijk 4 years ago like he just looks
0: unplayable at the minute yeah he's getting he's getting sort of best centre back in the premier league shouts now isn't he um which is obviously a fairly big call but at the same time you know He's definitely up there, and if Arsenal are to win the league, then as you say, him and Royce and Gabriel will probably have to start fit. Just on um, just on Man City boys. So um, I think we mentioned in the WhatsApp, didn't we? Their midfield ended up being Rico Lewis, Kovacic, and Alvarez, which in the fixture last year would have been KDB, Gundogan, and Rodri. Now, so Bernardo played in the 6th did didn't he, in
2: the first half? Do not... you Right. Okay. That's, that's another thing, actually, about this game that we haven't brought up, is I think it's, it spells the end for KP, Calvin yeah. Phillips. Because if you're playing Bernardo in the six ahead of Calvin Phillips, and Rodri has obviously been suspended for the three games, I generally, when, when he got sent off, I was like, right, here we go. Exciting times for an England fan, because you potentially get to see Calvin Phillips in a City team um finally. And he just, I think he played the Newcastle game, didn't he, in the Cup, and they lost. And he just hasn't had a sniff since. And I remember when I know this is sort of a off off topic slightly, but I remember when Paul Pogba decided to leave Man United when he was a youngster, when Sir Alex Ferguson decided to play Raphael the right back in centre mid instead of him, and he was yeah. like eighteen at the time. And I think that kind of reminds me of this moment where if you're Calvin Phillips, you sat there in the dressing room on the bench, and Bernardo's playing defensive midfielder instead of you.
0: Surely you're just like, yeah, that's me. That's me done at this club. And and also just that general who is in that midfield, like Kovacic should have been sent off. Any other manager in any other team would have had to have just subbed him off the minute that he put that challenge in, which he didn't get sent off for. But it's almost like Pep doesn't even fit. He'd rather walk a tightrope with Kovacic, who signed in the summer, to get sent off rather than bring on a fully-fledged England international who's really well thought of at Premier League level. So there's clearly a disconnect between what yeah. Pep thinks about him and what KP's actual abilities are if he's not bringing him on in that situation. Yeah, and Calvin Phillips was signed to be like the Rodri, maybe not understudy, but
1: to be the person that rotates in and out with him, he's used like five different central midfielders just in that game yesterday and none of them were KP um, and they've lost the game. So, who are we blaming there? I'm not saying pressure has to start mounting on Pep um, (laughs) because they've lost three out of the last four. But, no, I'm sorry. That was a big game. They lost it. Let's not forget, Arsenal didn't have Saka either. So, they weren't at full complement. They didn't start with Martinelli. And when that happens, you just need to make sure that you definitely, like you've talked about, Saliba and Gabriel at the back, absolutely fantastic. And they were making sure that Arsenal didn't lose the game. Man City didn't have an absolute sniff. And maybe KP would have been more productive in there. He's a good pastor of the football. He used to create chances from a a deep line position all the time for Leeds. He's done so for England as well. Um, So don't worry, Pep. We we all rate you, but you got that one wrong yesterday and you let Mikko Arteta get one up on you. And now you're third in the league. So sit on that over the international break and maybe show a little bit more respect to Calvin Phillips, I think. Because you're using not a lot of centre mids and you're trying to make it very obvious how much you don't like him.
0: That that's a really good point, actually, as well. Pep, I think I've seen like a couple of interviews where he's like hitting goals or something like that, and he just talks about like the moment that he loses, he can't wait to get back out on the training pitch and kind of put it right. Or, you know, he's such like a meticulous person about the errors that went into it. It must be killing him that his players are now leaving for international break and he's got to sit on that for the best part of a fortnight now, hasn't he? So That'll be uh, I'll be eating him up, which is quite nice actually. Um, just a uh, a final point, uh, Tomo. Did you see the sort of end of game, uh, sort of antics like Carl Walker? But I think from what I've read, you probably have a, me like is the set piece coach of Arsenal used to be at Man City. He's gone to shake his hand, and Carl's not wanted. Carl Walker's not wanted to shake his hand, and they've started having a bit of a pushing match, and haaland has got involved. I like that. I like that. I love that. It makes, it makes
2: like, your Carl Walkers of this world, they don't want to go to Arsenal and lose. They know they're their biggest rivals. If you've just lost to an 87th-minute winner at the Emirates and the crowd's going wild because they've won that game, Carl Walker and Haaland have every right to be pissed off. I I, I like the fact they're bad losers. Um, it, ma- it makes them good winners at the end of the day, and they won a the lot last year. So, yeah, handbags over nothing, really. But I quite I, if I was a City fan,
0: I'd like that. Yeah, I saw Ben White was on the scene as well. And he had that sort of fallen out with Foden and that last year as well. He looks like he enjoys boiling a bit of piss, Ben White. But uh yeah, I mean, great, great result for the Premier League, great result for Arsenal. And yeah, already looking forward to to seeing those how that City and Arsenal react after the international break, I uh, will move on to the earlier game from Super Sunday, boys. So Brighton to Liverpool to Salah getting a brace uh, for Liverpool, which is highly annoying because I've not got him in my fantasy team, and other people are starting to. But um, a Dingo had put Brighton in front after a McAllister mistake, and then uh, Lewis Dunk equalised um, sort of in the 80th minute for Brighton, and Brighton maybe should have gone on and won it. Tomo thoughts on that one?
2: Yeah, I think um, you're doing McAllister a bit of a disservice there. I watched that back and um, it's just Van Dijk's error. Like, he's just, it's a suicide ball into McAllister and McAllister just stood there like, if you're going to play it to him, you have to absolutely twat it into him. Um, yeah. But fair play to the lad, Adin- Adingra. Um, I yeah. I think not how you pronounce it, yeah. He's another one that just popped up at the start of the season who no one had heard of and he, he looks like some sort of decent player. Do you know what? Deservey said after the um the Marseille game in the week he said that Brighton aren't playing well at the minute and I have to agree but the fact that they've got the draw and they fought back against Liverpool and the fact that they got the draw against Marseille and fought back there I think they're showing some good character and for, if I'm right in thinking they've got I think they've got Man City next is that right um Brighton
0: Let yeah me... away at, away at the Etihad
2: yeah so they've got so that's the toughest game of the lot and then if they get through that, then hopefully for them, start playing a little bit of the Zerbi ball again and um, get get wins on the board. But yeah, I thought that was a really good game, to be honest. Um, another one where you just rue, for me personally, rue not having most no salary in my FPL team. I've got to do some serious jigging there to get him in because
0: cause he just we seems get- to... You've got to get rid of Haaland Haaland to get him in and that seems to be the conundrum. Or if you have Haaland and Salah, the rest of your team are just utter peasants.
2: Yeah, and yeah. do you know know what? In this game as well, if we're looking at it from a Liverpool angle, I thought they played really well, looked good going forward, but it showed, and I think, Laura, you've touched on this quite a lot over the last few weeks, you're just not like 100% convinced of them. And they've been getting the results and they've looked good, but they showed a lot of vulnerabilities against Brighton. I know quite a lot of teams can show a lot of inra- vulnerabilities against Brighton because they're a good team. But but I thought it was sort of an example of where Liverpool are at the minute, just that notch below your Arsenal and Man City. Um, I know Brighton are a good team and obviously Brighton were at home, so it's not the end of the world. But um, I just thought they looked a bit shaky at the back. Joe Gomez, when he come on for Trent... Terrible. Matoma, Matoma just sent him back to Cheltenham every single time. He was unreal, um, but yeah, yeah, good game though. Um, I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and I think we found the next 120 million pound player from Brighton, and it was that Belaber in midfield. Anyone ever heard of him before? <laughs> Never. Just absolutely ran the show for large periods of that game. Couldn't believe it. No, I've actually felt sorry for Liverpool because I I personally did think McAllister had an absolute stinker. But the weakest area of that team for me is probably the midfield. Although Shabozlo has been a good sign. I've never really rated McAllister that highly and I don't think he's having a big impact there. And I think that's costing them a little bit. But uh, the midfield for, for Brighton was fantastic. But I don't know why no one's speaking about Alisson for the first goal. Regardless of what happened in the middle of the pitch, that, that was another example. One of those goals that we, I think, we've s- seen at Brighton this year, actually, where they just shouldn't go in. You, sh- you shouldn't just be able to pass it into the net from 25 yards. Um, yeah, was... drinker who also had a good game.
2: It reminded so, uh... me of, um, of Andreas Pereira against Ramsdale, you know, early on in the season. Yeah,
1: that, that was another one. Yeah, the, the, the keeper's at fault there for sure. Wherever yeah. he was good wasn't right because there's no way he should be scrambling for that. It wasn't even hit that hard. Um, but you're talking about Robert De Zerbi saying Brighton aren't playing that well. Well, they're only four points off the top. So if they haven't clipped yet, yeah, I'll, I'd be really excited if I was a Brighton fan. And a couple of these players that are coming through now, like I said, I mean, that belabor I thought was unbelievable. It's like, that's why they let Caicedo go then, because they've got a, an even better player. And like you say, Matoma looked really lively, particularly in the second half. They find goals from all over the pitch. Brighton, Ferguson didn't have his best game, but we sort of ended up getting a goal from Lewis Dunk. And Liverpool probably will be happy with a point over the whole balance of the game. But um be really interesting because I, I actually look at the Premier League table. Like I said, Brighton are sit four points off top. Villa, fifth, four points off top. They're probably both quite happy with that going into the international break, thinking if we hit some real form here, a lot of the t- teams at the top are sort of taking points off each other at the moment and we can see where where we can finish. So, yeah, probably a fair result all around that for Brighton and Liverpool and one they'll both be happy with, I reckon.
2: Just just a quick one on that, Baleba. Um, 19 years old. But uh, To make you feel old, boys, he's born in uh, 2004. And Brighton signed him from Lille this summer for €27 million. Euros, albeit, if you're thinking... That was after they just got 115 million for Caicedo. So obviously, Lille would have put up the price anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: But he's 19. So you're thinking 18 months to 24 months in, at Brighton, he's going
0: Yeah,
2: they'll quadruple that.
0: Yeah, 100%. He looked good, didn't he? Um, just on in defensive Liverpool, which I don't tend to enjoy doing, but um, they had higher XG. They had more ball possession. They had 54% ball possession. And the reason I raise that is I believe, I might have this stat not quite right, but I believe I've read that um, that's the first time that a Premier League side had more ball at the Amex under De or something like that. So they had the majority of the ball there, which Brighton are known for retaining possession, uh, more shots on target, uh, more attempts on goal. So I think... Jao Pedro had a chance to win it, didn't he? And it could have been 3-2. But when Salah scored a brace, so I thought Liverpool looked quite good. Brighton are obviously a top side now as well. And I think that um, Liverpool wouldn't have been too too um, displeased with the point. But at the same time, maybe could have gone on to want it. But obviously, uh, two two good sides and two that afternoon international break will again be looking at, as you say, only sort of four or five points off the top and looking to climb. Can I yeah, just so- matter, if I just... I think it was a
1: game of three halves and I know that doesn't go in, but I thought Brighton probably started and finished the game better. And you're right, Liverpool had that middle period, but the top teams capitalise on that middle period, don't they? And Liverpool are a top team and they've been been playing a lot better than I thought they would at this stage of the season. But maybe that comes into what we spoke about with not trusting them just so much as we do as Man City and Arsenal at the moment. But yeah,
2: Liverpool did have their moments for sure. I was just gonna jump in as well and um say how much I enjoyed the biggest shit house in the Premier League, Andy Robertson, making the mistake for Brighton's second goal. Um I think I think you'd all agree that you'd love he's the sort of shit house you'd love to have on your team. But when he doesn't play for you, he boils your piss, doesn't he? And I was I was happy to see his forlorn face um all over the sky
0: cameras after that goal because it's a bit of poor defending that. Yeah, he, he looks like he's just going to the other side for me, Robertson. Um, I think that he was absolutely electric for quite a few years when Liverpool were, but I think he's just coming down the other side of that now, and I think I think they've just given that Simakas a new contract, but he's not the answer at left-back for them. So I think that Liverpool are now in a position, which they haven't been for a couple of years, which is each summer they're having to do quite a bit of like sign in work and replace a couple of positions. If we think they might have to sign a new right winger in the summer, if Salah does decide to go Saudi, I think they'll need a left back. I don't think they'll be too far off needing another centre back because Van Dijk's not getting any younger. Um, I think they're they're just constantly going to be trying to make some big sign-ins over the next couple of years. And I I think Robertson might be one they look to replace in the next couple of years. But yeah, agreed. Always nice when he uh, has a bad game, being a Scottish scouser. Uh, boys, we'll move on from that one. So, uh, Tomo, I was absolutely expecting, uh, when I checked my phone quickly at half time, uh, to be sat on this podcast talking about yet another defeat at Old Trafford for Man United, but was very, very pleasantly surprised to come back in at full time and see that they had been a McTominay masterclass. And, uh, we managed to get all three and a much, much needed three points in the Prem for United.
2: Yeah, you're right. And actually, one thing United as a club have been criticised for, I would say, over the last year, 18 months, is is for not being able to take advantage of uh, Scott McTominay's best position. Um, He's played well for Scotland, hasn't he, a bit further forward, and he's got a lot of goals in the last year or two. And um, he managed to, basically, but the thing is, when he come on, it was almost like... We were go we were going for it and he just basically told Scott McTominay, look, just get yourself in the box, cause a nuisance, and that's exactly what he did. First goal, great technique, great finish. Um, second goal, I think the keeper should have saved it, but absolute scenes. I was thinking about this, uh, about how to sort of talk about this game, because like you say, after 70, 80 minutes and it was it was shocking, really. Um and the worrying thing is about United at the minute, our four wins in the Premier League this season, basically we've made hard work of it. That, yep. Wolves, game, that Wolves game, Onana should have conceded the pen. You also go 2-0 down against Forest, 1-0 against Burnley. We were te- we, we've we all acknowledged we were bad that game and probably Burnley were the better team. And the same thing happens here. I don't want to slag off United because I just love the fact that we scored two and got the win and i was thinking actually look if you if for as an example of sort of our injury woes at the minute if you took out ben white Gabriel, saliba and zinchenko out of arsenal they would look disjointed and they would look more vulnerable at the back wouldn't they because at the weekend we had Basaka out varan martinez and shaw all out so yeah. it's, it's no wonder we're looking disjointed and not quite cohesive and and I said it, I think I said it a couple of podcasts ago. Sometimes fimple, f- football is a simple game. It's just when you get your best players on the pitch fit and firing, then it's sort of, it all comes together. And I just think United at the minute, we're a disjointed club, disjointed players, not being able to get any sort of consistency with the team we're putting out because of the injuries, et cetera. Um, and quite a lot of off-field issues as well. Um one of the, it's one of those games where you just take that win and run to the hills. The only thing I will say is it's, it's one of those games where you just want you don't want the international break to come straight after it. Because if you're going into United training this week, if United did have training this week, they'd be absolutely buzzing with a 93rd minute equaliser and a 97th minute winner. Um, because the manner of victory is great for morale. Um, but now everyone's having two weeks off going off into the international break. I wonder if. The any potential momentum that we did ha- like have from getting that kind of victory just goes out the window, which is a shame. But yeah, three points, happy days. <laughs> kind of happy days.
1: I mean, you've just said it there. You didn't have your back four. I'm sure, Varane, Martinez, Ram Basaka. I said the exact same thing after you beat Burnley a couple of weeks ago in mean, those exact words. And I was battered for being positive. <laughs> but for me, look, I just think... I just think it's there for United. I think you've got the beating of so many teams, but I just, I, there's something that, that holds you back unless it's like desperation at the end or gung-ho where you're 1-0 down again. I said it last week. I don't know why you play Casemiro and Amrabat back together. You're at home against Brentford. If you can't play a, 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 more of an attacking midfielder in there at home against Brentford, where can you? And then as soon as, not as soon as, but Casemiro, I think, came off in the second half, Ericsson goes on and maybe you have a little bit more going forward. And I just think there's a like a, belief problem or something like that because the def- obviously the best part of the defenders are injured but a lot of your attacking players that were available now Um another blank for Rashford which is starting to become a bit of a concern and I, I think with him it's a case of trying to gauge whether when he's good that's the real him or whether when he's bad that's the real him are we waiting for him to get better again or is this just him normally but um hopefully he can come back and have a better spell after the international break because I I really don't want to take him out of my fantasy football team because I think he might become a uh, he might become a good differential and a quite a cheap one now but he needs to start scoring and you need to start getting some more goals from the rest of the players but lovely for McTominay I think that's the first brace he's scored since he turned into Zinedine Zidane against Leeds three years ago against Bielsa's side. And um yeah, nice interview from him after the game as well, talking about how he's been at the club since he was five years old and it means everything to him. You probably need a little bit more of that in and around the place at the moment. So that was one very good spark and another good three points.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, Casemiro came off, did as you just touched on Laurie there. I think it was either at half-time, wasn't it, Tomo, or maybe just straight, straight after. But... um we brought Ericsson on that seemed to spring us into life. And then I think on the hour mark, Rashford got hooked and Garnacho came on and he was, um, from, from some accounts that I follow that are season ticket holders that, that were talking about it. They seem to think that Garnacho was a, a spark. Um, I watched match of the day. There was hardly any highlights was there. Like if that went for that McTominay brace, I think that would have been like last game on Tomo, I think you said, didn't you Brentford score early or score first and then United come back to win. So, uh, Kudos for that. Uh, it did pan out like that, but yeah, I think I, I look completely agree. Remain positive, but that was a couple minutes away, wasn't it? From you know, if that ball had gone out, where Garnacho put it back into the box, and that goal, you know, a second goal had been disallowed like that. That would have been a disastrous result for Ten Hag. But um just on the international break, Tomo, I get your point about probably be buoyed by it, but with our injury doubts, I don't mind an international break now. It gives two point. more weeks of United not playing games where Shaw's a couple of weeks further along, Wambasaka is, uh Varane, if he's had a knock, is Martinez, um, Kobe Mainu, I know he's only really young, but he's starting to come back into training. Um, I, I don't think Anthony's been included in the Brazil squad, so we get a little bit more time. Uh, to get back up to full fitness, so yeah, I, I'm, international breaks are rubbish, but they I think they're good for United at the minute.
1: Quick one for you boys as Man United fans. Interesting yeah. to hear this as an outsider looking in. If I asked you both to rate your confidence in Erik ten Hag being the the man to lead you forward at the moment, one to one to ten, one being he's got to go, ten being he's perfect. Where would he rank? Seven point five.
2: I, I think he's made some mistakes, wow. but I've, I'm still
0: fully back. Wow. Him. wow, Murph. Yeah, about that, I was going to say seven or eight. I'll go eight. I think that Fine. I think that he I think that he obviously doesn't doesn't always like cover himself in glory with some of his like tactics and things like that, and he he does seem to back the same players. But I mean, only a couple months ago, before we've had this injury crisis start like, this season, we had a a um, trophy-winning season, back into the Champions League, nearly won the FA Cup, um, and yeah, I think that he will eventually, if he's given the time to stay here, is going to get some new ownership that comes in as well, and maybe a bit of stability at the club. I think that he's definitely. We can't just sack another person, can we? We've been through what Ralph Rangnick, Ole Carrot Giggs, albeit very interim, Jose Louis Van Gaal, David Moyes, all since Fergie. And each time it's the manager gets overruled by the players and we get rid of him and then bring someone else in who wins a few games and then we stop. I just can't think of who the person you'd bring in who would change this would be. Like, who who would we replace him with?
1: I think his man management's poor. His tactics are abject. And my rating would be three out of ten. I'd bring in Zinedine Zidane.
0: I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm speechless. <laughs> uh, right, boys, we'll move on from that. Uh, but yeah, great win for United in the end. Important three points. And it's funny how it looks sometimes. In, you know? I looked at the Prem table and saw that with teams dropping points, we're suddenly sort of five or six points off of being back in the mixer. So let's see what we can do post-international break. <laughs> We've got a Manchester derby actually coming up very soon after international break at Old Trafford. So that could be uh, a real turning point for Ten Hag and his, and his boys. Another game from yesterday, Chaps, West Ham 2, Newcastle 2. Obviously wasn't on TV, but watched the highlights back. Looked like decent action in the game. Um, We spoke about Newcastle needing to guard themselves from a potential kind of midweek Champions League hangover and Eddie Howe sort of pointed towards a bit of a hangover in that game, Um, but looked like Newcastle were quite lucky to come away with a point in the end, Laura.
1: Oh, I thought Isaac had a chance to win it. When they were 2-1 up, he went through for his hat-trick, one-on-one, decided to take it around the keeper. If he scored, it's one of them where if he scored, it would have been a good goal. But I think a player like that should be scoring and that, that would have won them the game. So, yeah. although he scored a brace and he's probably their player of the match, um, Trippier with another assist as well, he had the moment to win it for them. Didn't, allowed West Ham, um, you know, time to come back and obviously they ended up getting the winner. So... Overall, it's probably actually quite a good point because West Ham are a good side this season, I think. I think they're a really good side this season. James Ward-Prowse, again, looked like he had another really good game. Jared Bowen's back to his best. You've got players like Kuda scoring. Thomas Sujet was back on the score sheet yesterday as well. Overall, probably a good point. But Newcastle, completely different side away from home and uh, a point there against West Ham is probably quite decent and yeah, you might be right, West Ham are, are disappointed they didn't get the three points because I think there was a chance very late on that Bowen flashed across the face of goal and Ben Rahman couldn't get the right touch but I just thought that moment for Isaac that was the moment that if he, if he scores that and it's 3-1 Newcastle just looked like really serious customers again, I know they are already but yeah, he, I think he hit the post and it's one of them that he, sort of commentator said it was unlucky, I don't think it was, I think he should have scored so Although we got a brace, Isaac should have won the game. Ended up being two all. Pretty fair point all round, I would say.
2: Yeah, Do you know what I wanted to talk about, actually, was um, we spoke, didn't we, in the last pod about Nick Pope, about like, what? We're all, we're all a little bit dumbfounded by why he's not included in the England squad this season. And actually, I think there was another error for the opener, wasn't it? And I don't think he's been that good this season. I wonder... I, I, I you'd assume because he is a good goalie. You'd assume he, he'd sort of play. He's going to play his way back into form, but um, he's sort of starting to become a bit of an issue for Newcastle. <clears throat> I thought the game demonstrated Eddie Howe being a very good manager because for forty-five minutes, West Ham were by far the better team, and and we spoke about the Champions League hangover. They definitely had that in the first half, and then. Um, second half happens. And obviously he said something, he put a bollock up at them or something in the, in um in the change room. And they were a much better team in the second half. I've got, you got to start to think that West Ham are going to have to start this Kudos fella. Now he's, uh, he's come from Ajax, hasn't he? For big money, scored a couple in, in the Europa League a couple of weeks ago. And he's been starting in the Europa League. And I think now he just looked, he looked, he looked like they. he sort of brought so much energy and so much quality when he come on. And obviously his goal was top class. So you'd, you'd think he'd, he'd nail down a starting spot soon. Um, but another, it's just a good game. Where, uh, do you know what is actually, this game demonstrated to me, I think that the Premier League is almost the best it's ever been, like top 10. Like, because West Ham are just a very strong team. And if you go away to West Ham and get a point, you can't begrudge it it's not like a bad point anymore and you've got if we if we're looking at like your villas brighton west ham newcastle all of these teams that are outside the so-called big six so that's top 10 and yeah. the, those four teams there are quality and say for I'm looking at it as a united fan if you go to any of those four teams and get a draw away from home it's like not the worst result in the world whereas what, 15, 20 years ago, it was like there's a big four, top four, and everyone else you just smash. It feels like the Premier League, with all the money that's coming into it, it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And as a United fan, it's not looking good, bruv, because it means that United have got to be on top of their game and on top of their recruitment. And it feels like we're sort of, if we're standing still, we're going backwards. Um, But another good game, great result. or great.
0: Great game, yeah. And some some of these teams now, like West Ham, obviously won the Conference League, so they're in in Europa based off of that. But Newcastle, you we spoke about it last week. They they'll be buoyed by beating PSG and nights like that, as you said, Tomo. They'll want to be champs. League. They probably, from a financial fair play point of view, need European football to then do their next level of development. Arsenal, City, Liverpool, Tottenham all look like they're going to be, you know, up there for the top four. Brighton, as you say, look good. They're in the Europa League now. They might not they might want to get back into that. Villa, West Ham, Newcastle, as we've touched on, as you say, for United. Like they can't not be playing European football with this squad they assembled. But there no guarantees United are top seven this year, is there? Like absolutely none at all. And as you say, we've got to go to places like Newcastle, like West Ham, like the Amex, like Villa. And probably pick up results to get into that position this year, and another and some other big away fixtures plus hosting all these sides where Old Trafford don't seem to be a fortress much longer. So yeah, Prem is really really strong, um, but makes it exciting.
1: Sneaky good start from West Ham. They're above Newcastle in the league, so it's not you know you can't just expect Newcastle to go there now. That's a really good point for them, really looking at that. And I'm just looking at their starting eleven. They're like a, a, a goal scorer. No disrespect to Antonio, who's been a good player, but they're like a really good striker away from being a proper proper contender. We're talking about Brighton and Villa. West Ham are only just behind them. And you look at their team on paper, although they've got a, a different kind of st- uh, manager stylistic-wise, they've got some really strong, good Premier League players in there with Pakatar and or Prowls and Bowen and Alvarez. A really, really strong defensive unit as well. I really rate that a good. So it be interesting to see where they go. Yeah. Um, and if they can start picking up goals from their striking areas, I'm trying to think who normally comes in if Antonio's not there. I guess it's Danny Ings who hasn't really done it for a long time. That's an
2: area they probably need to sort
1: out. But yeah, good sneaky, good start from West Ham, and uh, actually looks quite a good point on paper for Newcastle. That.
2: And do you know what, as well, just quickly, because I know we we probably mentioned him, and we have mentioned him already in this podcast a couple times, but Ward Prowse, thirty million. Yeah. He, he, He's just playing seven, eight out of ten every game. It's like he's slotted into that West Ham field like he's always been there. And I know Declan Rice has big shoes to fill, but it it feels like they don't miss him at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Walphouse is just, he's slotted fantastically well. Uh, obviously, we all knew he was a good player, but we didn't know what kind of ceiling he has. And the way he's playing, it's an absolute travesty that he's not in that England squad.
1: Yeah, he's, he's in the top three signings of the summer for me. Top three, maybe top two, um, alongside probably Declan Rice, who he's replaced at Arsenal, and, and James Madison at Tottenham. But um, yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing watching match of the day. Everything seemed to go through him, and he's got like this sort of like new lease of life playing a bit, probably a better team now, no disrespect to Southampton. So I agree, it is a travesty that he's not at the England side.
0: Yeah. They've always seemed to be like a side for love, a set piece as well, don't they? Like Suchek scores score goals, their centre-half, so normally they're absolutely um, massive, aren't they? West Ham, yeah. it's like playing and against a space god. And he's got the ball on a piece of frozen rope whipping a set piece in, and he just puts it where he wants it. And unbelievable signing. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think you bang on about a Declan Rice thing. I think sometimes sides get bogged down by having a complete and utter star. We'll come on to Spurs in just a second and everything was like, we need to go through Harry Kane and he'll save us. It felt like it was just like West Ham was like, oh, Declan Rice will get us out of the shit or Declan Rice will drag us through. Um, you know, you don't want to ever lose to your best players, but sometimes when they go, it's a bit of a weight off everyone else's shoulders because they all need to step up a bit and they're not just sort of thinking, well, you know, he's the main man and I'm not. So yeah, great stuff for West Ham. Final point on Newcastle before we do move on as well. I think if you... If you ask someone how Newcastle started this season, they'd be like, yeah, they've made a decent start to the season. They're one point ahead of Man United, who've made a disastrous start, many people would say. I know you factor in Champs League form on that, but uh, yeah, just uh, food for thought. Boys, we'll move on to Tottenham. Uh, they went and won 1-0 at Luton and they're top of the league uh, going into international break so Spurs fans in dreamland and did it the hard way as well Basuma sent off first uh first blot on his copy book from this uh this season because it was a pathetic second yellow wasn't it it was a simulation for to be sent off as rubbish and there were some big chances missed in that game as well from from both sides but Loro Big Angers boys go marching on yeah it's just it's the character
1: within Tottenham that's a massive difference at the moment. Okay, they've brought in some really good quality with James Madison, and I know he turned provider on Saturday to make sure that they could uh, come away from of for with three points, but again, it's just another thing you do not associate with Tottenham. Going down to ten men, they'd have lost the game 2-3-0 last season, um, and Luton, although they started off poorly, and we all think they're going to get relegated, they've been a little bit better of late, and they picked up a win against Everton away from home last week, and their tails would have been up. I know they lost to Burnley, but I know we keep saying it, but another checkpoint ticked off. Man goes, uh, man off, down to 10 men, away from home. They still come out on top, and they're top of the league. And I keep saying it, when does it get serious? The answer to that question is I don't know. I don't know when we start looking at the Premier League table, but we're talking about Arsenal and Man City, Tottenham are top, and that is because of the great man, Ange Postecoglou, <laughs> a couple of his signings, the character and the nature of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club now is completely different to what it's been like before, and that's without Harry Kane, which sometimes you can forget. So, yeah, uh, wax lyrical about Tottenham Hotspur at the moment, and uh, Ante Pocoglou, and they'll be uh, they'll be full of confidence coming back from the international break. That's for sure, top of the league. Yeah,
2: I've not been shy about giving Eves uh, Basuma some praise this season because I think he's been different gravy, but. Um, he owes me about twenty fantasy points because he fuck, he completely fucked me. He dived. Honestly, it was shocking. It was the worst second yellow card I think I've ever seen. And when you've taken the captain's armband off Erling Haaland and put it on Hyung Son, and you've also got James Madison in your team, that's the worst. That's the last thing you want to see. Um, because you didn't think Spurs would get many goals after that. Um. Richarlison missed some sitters in that game, early doors. Look, I know you're talking about Luton getting better and better, and, um, but actually for the first 20 minutes of that game, they were shocking. And, Wol- and Wolves, I don't know why I'm thinking of them, but Tottenham should have been about 4 5 nil up. They've missed, I think, I was it? It was like one of, someone, some stats person, I know you love these lot, put up like um, after 12 minutes, Tottenham's Tottenham had like a 1.21 xg after 12 minutes.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I I saw you tweet that. I wasn't quite um sure what to make of that. Is that in them say that they they should be one nil up?
2: Well, it just basically means that Tottenham have created four or five really good chances that you'd expect on another day to score right. one or two one or two of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Richarlison missed a couple of sitters in those first 15 minutes. I think. I want. I th- I think Son set up someone as well, and Madison blasted one over. It was one of those games that you just and you talk about like Tottenham and Ange Postecoglou changing their mentality. It did feel like when Basuma got sent off after they missed all those sitters that they were going to go back to Spursy being Spursy again, and lo and behold, James Madison pulls one out of the hat, sets up Van de Ven, who by the way had a great game and looks like he's properly growing into that Spurs center back position and a, a, another thing as well I think he's doing is making Romero look like a proper defender because Romero yeah. Romero alongside Eric Deere last year was was an embarrassment and he was rash and he was getting sent off and he was getting bookings and he and and then obviously he goes and wins the World Cup Messi calls him the best center back in the world. And this season, Romero looks like a completely different player. And I wonder if it's just because he's playing alongside Mickey van der Ven, who looks like calm, assured, he's quick, um, obviously got the goal on the weekend, so gets the plaudits, but, and he got man of the match. But um, yeah, there's a lot to like about Tottenham it? And, um, at the minute. And that's just another, as a United fan, it's just another club that's doing better than United. It's another club that is going to go into the top four that United are not going to get into. So... Yeah, it's tough. it's tough out there.
1: Yeah, and we talk about their attacking pro-esque and Madison coming good again and Son's had a good start to the season. But for the first time in quite a long time as well, Spurs seem to have got this settled back four now. And you just touched on it then. Van de Ven and Romero, a really good partnership. And that Van de Ven, I've heard some interviews with him. What a great fella can see exactly why Ange Postecoglou wants him at the heart of that defence and you think about Tottenham they've moved to a back four this season which they were crying out to do it was a five before a three or a five whatever way you want to look at it before but there were all, always different names every week in and out of it that Porro Romero Van De Ven udogie that looks like a good settled back four and you can only go on and win the games with that character one nil if you're not letting him at the other end and they look really really good obviously with Sarah Basuma in front of them so that's a good point and I think Van De Ven sums up everything good about Tottenham
0: and Postacoglu at the moment. Uh, I was going to bring up van der Ven. obviously scored the goal, but Spurs played, was it Brentford first game of the season where they drew two all and they nearly lost the game. And I remember looking at him and thinking, nah, he's not got it, Um, which shows what my eyes for talent's like. But I also, I think I watched you doggy as well in that game. I've never really thought too much of Pedro Porro. Romero obviously always seems rash. And I've, I've, I remember watching that. I think Spurs went like one nil down and maybe two one down. But I thought, no, nah, he he's not got it that van der de Ven. He didn't look good. But watching him now, he looks quick, he looks strong, he gets back he covers people, he's good in the air, he looks a, like as Laurie says, a decent chap as well. Like but that's sometimes what a manager does, isn't it? Just takes a back four and turns them into it. Doesn't need to be the best players in the world. He can just get players gelling and tick him.
1: Exactly that. It's about the back four as a unit. And I'll, I'll make a Leeds comparison. Luke Kalen, Stuart Dallas and Luke, Liam Cooper all used to be thought of as like League One players lucky to be in the Championship. And they were three of the four that took us all the way to the Premier League and were very good in the Premier League under Bielsa. And it's because of that unit, not individually, the right characters and the right abilities next to each other and the right balance. And they can go forward as unit. And I think the, mo- the good side is like when Leicester won the league, same team every single week. And the back four is a big part of that. And if they can keep that back four, Ticking along, playing well, grinding out results, keeping clean sheets. They're going to be very, very good. We haven't spoke about the keeper. I'm not going to lie and say I've seen too much of him, but that's probably a good thing.
0: Yeah, another another top win for Spurs. They got some nice fixtures after international break as well. We've touched on not having European football, they, but they've got Fulham, Palace, Chelsea, uh, Wolves, all in their next uh, four, albeit then have a couple of tricky games with Villa and Tottenham. But let's just... Uh, See how far this uh, continues. Boys, round up of the other uh, games from the Premier League. So Everton 3 nil versus Bournemouth. Uh, important three points for Everton. And uh, Tomo will love this, but more XG than Man City so far this season, which is meaning if I've got XG right, crafting out some big opportunities, but just not always putting the ball in the back of the net. But if Calvert Lewin's coming back and finding some form, and we've touched on Jack Harrison and how they could potentially link up, a great result for them. And uh, yeah, they probably don't want the international break because they go straight into the Merseyside derby afterwards and they'd much prefer that to be this upcoming weekend than in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Burnley won Chelsea four. So Chelsea have actually now won three in a row in all competitions. Uh, Looks like Potts has just started to get them going and Raheem Sterling looked really good. Um, I can already tell that if Rashford's form continues to drop and Sterling starts... Uh, form continues, he'll be back in the England squad in the November squad probably after being so gutted about being left out of the last one and obviously huh? this one yeah
2: we we had this exact conversation when Sterling had that worldie against Luton yeah, and and we were like yeah if he carries on this form he'll be in the, in the next England squad and he just for Sorry. some reason he just doesn't seem to be consistent with it he, he actually got dropped didn't he last week, um, which is why he was on my FPL bench this week, and then he goes and gets two assists and a goal, fuming about that, cheers Raheem um, but yeah, and do you know as well I was going to mention Nico Jackson's goal I don't know if you boys watched it, it reminded yeah, me very good. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that at all, it reminded me of Jaden Sancho's goal against Liverpool last year where yeah. it looks really composed and it looks really
0: um Oh yeah, you always had a weird view about that Sancho goal, didn't you? Where you thought he would look that composed, but he was actually really uncom- unconfident that he yeah. had to take like a second, third touch. Yeah, oh, and I think that's that about Nico
2: Jackson, where he just looks so. Everyone's going on oh, what? How that's so composed? Nothing like Nico Jackson. But the reality was, in my opinion, he just he was so unconfident he didn't want to take the ball first time. Um. So yeah, I I think even though he scored that goal, it was a sign that he's a piss poor finisher. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is a staggering attack on a man who's <laughs> for me just scored an unbelievably good goal i do you know what i watched that and thought i've given nico jackson a lot of shit he's not a goal scorer but that was absolutely fantastic and i'm going to give him loads of praise and an unprovoked attack from teagall uh, likening yeah. him to Jaden sancho who's been training with the kids i think that's i think that's bang out of order
0: i will just just <laughs> just to come back to the uh To the Sterling point about the England squad, and we say, you know, he doesn't continue this form on, but what looked like a really, really deep, difficult position to get in on that left wing for England, because you were thinking Rashford, then you got Grealish, then Sancho obviously was at um, previous tournaments, but now nowhere near it. Suddenly looks like it's up for grabs a bit, doesn't it? Like, does Foden want to go and take it by the bollocks and it be him? Will we end up playing like Madison a bit further out there? Could someone like Sterling? Uh, find some form and reclaim it? Is there a wild card there with Anthony Gordon like having a good season? I'll be really, really intrigued to see who starts out on that left wing uh, I, in the summer.
2: What I will say is I do think Sterling, when it comes to the Euro squad, I think that Southgate would pick a Sterling over a Bowen. But with this squad, he's picked Bowen because he's the man in form. But I just think come next summer, say for instance, Let's say Sterling's in the squad, and a Rashford or a Grealish gets injured first game and is out of the tournament. I think he would rather play Sterling as ahead of a Jared Bowen. If you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Sort of take him to a tournament for the experience. That
2: yeah, he's got. Uh, yeah. And he he's clearly got his favorites. It Doesn't seem like Raheem Sterling's among his favorites at the minute. Um, but I do my prediction is that Sterling, no matter what, if he is fit, he'll probably make the squad.
1: Yeah, but I think you're right to highlight that left-hand side position, and I think Southgate has shown that he's concerned about it as well because he played Madison, I think, on the left against Ukraine in the last international break. Yeah. Um, but it nothing really matters with England anymore, does it? Because we've got Jude Bellingham,
0: so it doesn't matter. I don't
1: care who you play out there. Yeah, we're gonna win it
0: all, aren't we? Just very quickly on this Sterling thing, actually, he flew home from. Qatar, didn't he? And do you yeah. think that's where Southgate's maybe like lost a bit of trust in him? Well, hang on a minute. His house was robbed, wasn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when he called out, is that being a bit odd in the end, or am I going down a rabbit hole? I shouldn't there. Uh... Yeah, rabbit hole. Right, okay. No, no. I, 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 hang on. You keep bringing Sterling up. You talk about
1: Southgate having his favourites. For a long time, Sterling was one of Southgate's favourites. That's actually one example where he has dropped a big name when he's come off form. So I think the Sterling one's been handled fine. And if he can go on and consistently put in performances like he has against Burnley at the weekend, and it is only Burnley, who, by the way, have been horrific this season so far, then he will find his way back in the squad. And that left-hand side is up for grabs. Grealish ain't getting a game. Rashford's absolutely terrible. Madison doesn't play there. Foden, going to say it, massively overrated and has never kicked on. So someone's going to have to do it. Maybe it'll (laughs) be Raheem.
0: Yeah, I think we'll move on from that bombshell there. (laughs) Uh, rest of the Premier League action so Fulham uh, 3, Sheffield United 1 Sheffield United only on one point looking a fair bit of bother down at the bottom there Uh, Wolves 1, Villa 1 Huang scoring for Wolves and Pau Torres for Villa Ollie Watkins had a great chance to win it literally with the last header of the game hit the base of the post there Um, but yeah he'll be looking to take some of his form into the England squads I want to give
1: a big Loro shout out to Huang Because that's five and eight for him. And Wolves have needed someone to put their head above the parapet for a while now. And Huang's the one to do it. He was the match winner against Man City. And uh, his goal obviously meant they came away of a tricky game with a point yesterday as well. So good on him. And hopefully that continues. I've always liked him. used to be linked with Leeds a lot. I really like him as a player.
0: Just about to say that. A couple of years ago, you used to say you'd have him at Leeds, wouldn't you? He was getting links there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a good... like One of those players, you can tell, tries really hard and has got a bit of quality. It's just the consistency but he seems to have found a little purple patch of form, probably another one that didn't want the international break to come. But if he can kick on, look, five in there, I think he's third in the league for goals per minute behind Wilson and maybe one other. So yeah, just wanted to mention Hwangi on this one because I like him and that's a really good start.
0: Yeah. Well done, Hwangi. Um, Boys, we'll move on to the championship because obviously we're in no way going to talk about Palace nil, Forest now. Um Sunderland nil, Middlesbrough four, four in a row now for Michael Carrick's men. Um, Game that completely threw me that scoreline. Um, seeing that, expected Sunderland to continue their good form, but Carrick seems to have turned it around there. And I think we spoke a few pods ago, might be in a bit of trouble, uh, Tomo, but Middlesbrough seemed to have hit back and, and starting to get some points on the board now.
2: Yeah, it was, a, it, obviously, when you look at it, it's a great result, 4-0, but it, the turning point was the red card. And I don't know if you boys have yeah. seen it. It was a second yellow, basically, for a sweat. like a, a, I think he told the ref to fuck off. I think it was down nil. And yeah. in, oh, you you hate to see sort of a, a big nor, northeast derby, the game to change on a sixpence like that, just because the ref's a little bit sensitive to kind of those kind of things. Um, it's a shame, really. Um Laura, I wanted to bring you in actually because um did you see Sam Greenwood's goal? Absolutely unbelievable finish. And yeah. I think I think I'm right in thinking I listened to the um the highlights, and they said that he was born in Sunderland, played for Sunderland Academy, and obviously scored the goal to make it 1-0. And then I don't know if you boys saw this as well. I, I heard it on the Rest is football podcast this morning. So I looked out for it when I watched the highlights this afternoon, and that um I think it's Crooks who scored the second. He wheeled away. He wheeled away and did the Shearer at Sunderland. And um, I mean, I shouldn't find this funny, but then the Sunderland fans obviously kicked off to the extent of throwing bottles at the Middlesbrough players. But if you're going to do the Shearer at yeah. Sunderland, you've got to expect something, haven't you? But yeah, great result for Carrick. They seem to have turned the corner a bit. Goals goals are flowing and that was the issue, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, onwards and upwards for Mickey Carrick's men.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that about Sam Greenwood. Cause Leeds signed him from Arsenal. Um, and when we signed him, he was meant to be a striker. But Bielsa, again, and Jesse March, actually, both always played him centre-mid or ten or even wide. So, we didn't really see the best of him in front of goal. But that was a very good finish. Um Yeah, Matt Crooks. I mean, Middlesbrough Sunderland's a a bit of a derby, isn't it? So maybe he was... I don't know whether he's from that area. I think they signed him from Rotherham, though, so I'm not sure what the relevance is from him. But Dan Neal's like that kind of... Remember Ranieri used to call Makaleli the battery of the watch type thing? That's a big... That's a big loss for them. Like, he's a good player in centre-mid for Dan Neal. He's been linked with, like, Liverpool before. He's highly rated. And sometimes in the Championship, you don't have that strength in depth. Like, I'm not sure who would have come on to replace him, but I don't really recognise the names. Um... And it's probably quite a big drop off, and maybe that show didn't in Liverpool get, um, sorry, Middlesbrough getting four second half goals. But yeah, Michael Carrick seems to have turned the corner. And it was probably around this time last year where he came in and started to save them. And all of a sudden, he's a win and a draw off the playoffs.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's that's what makes the championship so good, though, isn't it? Like you just string three or four together, three or four wins yeah. together, and it just completely changes the season. On yeah. that strength and depth point, I just wanted to say Sunderland's, um, best players this season Jack Clark and Daniel Ballard the centre-back um both been linked with moves to the Premier League and if if I think maybe Sunderland's season might be hinged on keeping those two because they're obviously their best players at the minute and if you lose them in January and you think those type of players will want to go to the Premier League as soon as possible um if you lose them in January then their playoff hopes and promotion hopes take
0: a bit of a kicking but um that's one to watch, I guess. That's one to watch. I always think with those January moves though from footy league, like just see it out and it to the end of the season. Like you've obviously got a good thing going at Sunderland. Like what's Jack Clark? Like who's he been linked with in the prem? Brent- Brentford. Brentford, yeah, Brentford. Right, okay, yeah, you got to go, Jack. If Brentford come, <laughs> well, I was going
2: to say that like, in, like Brentford, Brentford or
0: something Brentford. like that.
1: Yeah, Brentford is the perfect fit. I thought that as well. As soon as I thought that, I thought, oh, that might be hard to turn down because I can see him there. But he's been stung before Jack Clark. He left Leeds to go to, obviously very young at the time, but to go to Tottenham for 10 million as like a 16-year-old. And after that, he found it difficult, not just at Tottenham, but to find his way back even into the championship. And he actually ended up having to go to League One with Sunderland and obviously help them get promoted and rebuild his career that way. So he won't jump quickly. But I think on your point, why don't you just see it out? I think it will depend on where Sunderland probably are in January. If they if they look like they're a in for at least the playoffs, they'll have a much better chance of of keeping him. But if they're sort of in and out of form and mid table
2: somewhere, then he might he might well go. But it'll cost a lot now. Yeah, it it was thirty million I saw, and I, we spoke. I did I did an EFL corner with him. Was it last week or the week before? And yeah, I know. Yeah, and Burnley yeah. they rejected a fifteen million bid from Burnley yeah. at the end of the summer. And now I think it was like 25 million or 30 million. Brentford will be coming in for January. So, good decision from Sunderland business wise because he started the season on fire
0: and upped his value by nearly double. So, if you're Sunderland though, just don't sell him because he could be a difference between Prem and not, which is way more lucrative than 30 mil to a club. And then you can, if you go up, you can still then sell him. But suddenly you've got a Premier League winger who's taken you up and you say to Brentford, well, 45. And if you don't want to, fine, Jack, play in the Prem for us. Now you're a Premier League player, so you don't need to move. So yeah. just don't, don't do stupid business in January. If the club's got financial issues, sometimes you need to let them go. But if they want to go to the Prem, that's where the money's at and keep your best players. Um, so I know we talk about this duo every week, but um, on from Michael Carrick to Kieran McKenna, they beat Preston 4-2. Uh, they're in great form. We obviously touched them on them last week, Tomo, you said about him bringing bloody Ed Sheeran into the dressing room. He can't seem to miss at the minute. McKenna, he seems to get everything right. But another great win for them. Um, as I say, I think they got 13, 14 points from the last six games. So they're flying up through the table at yeah, the minute.
2: And, and you know, I think, Laurel. I know you stung me a couple of weeks ago when I did the EFL corner on Ipswich. And I didn't know Leaf Davis's position. But I, mm. I kept a keen eye on him in the um, EFL <laughs> highlights. And he looks, he looks a player, doesn't he, from left back.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, uh, he does. And to be
1: point. fair, Ipswich look absolutely lethal in front of goal. I watched the highlights of that game yesterday, and some of their attacking plays unbelievable. It did look like they were a little bit um, yeah, vulnerable messy at the back at times. Yeah. And they, I mean, the game against Leeds 4 3, that was 4 2. I think they've had a few games like that this season. That could come back to haunt them. But if you're outscoring teams, that's absolutely fine. You just got to keep going. But I think. Kieran McKenna will probably be having a look defensively thinking if we can just shore that up and make sure we don't have to score four to win every week.
2: Yeah, and they've got, and if you have if you have a look at the like the goal scoring charts in, in that league as well, they've got a few players who are just notching goals. Um that broadhead um's yeah. got five for the season. Chaplin, um, I think he scored the first on the weekend from that cleverly worked corner from Leif Davis actually assisted. That was his fifth for the season as well. So they have got loads of players chipping in with goals. It's just, it's just like, and they and they did like an interview um, bit before the game of like the the track the boys fans and they all were just absolutely buzzing uh, how it's going. And they were comparing it to like like Burley days. Well,
0: didn't, didn't they nearly get the Champions League with Marcus Stewart in those days?
2: Yeah, Burley. Uh, I, I think Burley they, they finished fourth, didn't they, in their first yeah. season in mean, the Premier League? Yeah, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're comparing they're comparing McKenna to him
1: stunning side that was Marcus Stewart up
0: front yeah those are the good old days weren't they um boys we'll move on so Leicester to Stoke nil Vardy and Iniacho scoring those two seem to score every week at, at the minute now um great result for for them um and they stay top of the league um can I just um
2: interrupt there quickly because I've got a couple questions for you boys that I wanted to talk. On before we moved on from Leicester, because obviously another expected win and they seem to be cruising um, their way back to the Premier League. But the questions I wanted to ask you, boys, is this. Do you think Leicester fans um, are enjoying this season more than they have the last couple of years in the Prem? And if so, is it then better for a team to be relegated from the Premier League um, to then regroup and then look like they're winning every single week, it must be great to be a Foxes fan at the minute. And the the reason why I ask is because when when you listen to pundits and um, journalists talk about relegation from the Premier League, it's always as if it's some sort of like cataclysmic event, and 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 it's almost like a club cannot go down because of because of the financial side of it, and rah rah rah. But actually. Last season, Burnley demonstrated that it wasn't the worst thing in the world to go down. I know they're struggling this season in the Prem, but they like the Burnley fans had a great time last year in the Championship. And similar, I think it's similar with the Leicester fans now. So what do you boys think about that?
1: Well, it's all right if it works like that. But Leeds got relegated after being in the Champions League semi-final and then didn't come back for 16 years and had to toil away in the Championship and League One. And yeah. that's the danger, isn't it? If you go down and it doesn't work mm. and you get stung a, you get stung with a surprise one, Sunderland the same. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can guarantee that you can have a great season, win every game, as Leicester have started brilliantly, then I'm sure they are enjoying it. But no, I don't think it's ever good to be going down. Unless your club needs a total reset and it's best for everyone involved. I just...
2: Yeah, because... So, the re- a, a big reason, I suppose, I would ask is because of Everton. Like Everton Football Club, we always talk about the last maybe three or four years they almost need a relegation just to like completely reset the club yeah. um they're and they're the ones that are just hanging up like for, especially for the last two or three years been hanging hanging on the edge of the cliff waiting to be pushed or waiting do you know what i mean and it feels yeah, like the
0: only, the only right. way that the answer to that is yeah is if you can guarantee promotion back next year so like Laurie's just touched on, the, and you said about Burnley last year. It's like, yeah, come back up. Leicester, are like they going to come back up? But Leeds, as Laurie said, went down there. I, Ipswich were down in League One. Derby are down in there now. Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday went down there. Some of these sides, you know, West Broms, there's teams in the Championship League One who've been in the Premier League who, if you said to them now, oh, are you glad you came back down to enjoy the highs of the Championship? They'll go, well, there's not many of them either. And now yeah, we're just oh. not getting the TV money and that.
2: Yeah, true. So another one then, so to to you, Laurie, because there's, I know Leeds have started okay this year, but there's no guarantee at the minute, like it seems like with Leicester, that they're going to get promoted straight away. But are you enjoying this season more than you did last season?
1: Yes, definitely. There you go um, then. but well, no, 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 hang on a minute. We had Buddy the Elf in charge for half the season last year. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying yeah. it because we've got a really good manager and we've got a really good set of players that want to play for the club. And you just need to take a look at the outgoings in the summer to see the kind of players that were wearing the badge for us last season that culminated in getting relegated. Um, So I would have much preferred to have stayed in the Premier League, for sure. But I am enjoying this season more than last season, because last season we couldn't win a game. And this year, I genuinely think we're one of the best in the league. Daniel Farga did say after the game, though, on Saturday, he said, this is a different kind of pace being set. Not just by Leicester, but by Ipswich as well. So we are going to have to. He knows that we're going to have to go on some sort of very good run at some point, a little bit like Leicester and Ipswich have to get back in it. But Leicester have been near perfect. The next eleven games or the next ten games ain't going to be as good as the previous. If if they are, they're up. But at some point, I still think that there will be um, a tricky period for them to negotiate, and uh, hopefully
0: Leeds will be there waiting. A really good point actually on that pace being set because um there's now an eight point gap from Ipswich to Preston with that result at the weekend which you know in the championship that's a few game weeks that can switch around but just set some context that's the gap between second and third that's eight points there's a seven point gap between Preston on 20 points and 17th place on 13 points so that just kind of highlights that gap starting to build a bit. And if they keep winning every week, as you say, can't continue like that, you wouldn't think. But these teams are just going to have to keep winning and sticking in there to even keep pace at the minute, let alone chipping away at that. So, yeah, impressive starts for both of those sides. Laurie, we'll come on to Leeds then. So 2-1 win versus Bristol City at the weekend. And Dan James and Joel Pirro with the goals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I ain't got a lot to say on that. It was job done. I think it was another one where um I don't know what the XG would have been on in it, but I would imagine it was something like eight one. Um and Joel Pirro, who some of the really clever Leeds fans have been worried about him playing out of position, is now on five and eight in the league. Um and as Daniel Farker said last year. Uh, sorry, as Daniel Farker said in his press conference last week, um I've managed in this division twice before. Both times my player got golden boot in Team Puki, and both times we won the league. So I know my business.
2: <laughs> XG stats, Loro, for you. Yep. two point two point six five for Leeds, 0. 0.23 for Bristol City. So a
0: well-deserved victory. You can't even yeah. get consistent XG. I've got it here and it's completely different. So people must judge XG different as well. So Says it all. uh boys so uh birmingham three west brom one uh great result for birmingham takes them up to six. their managers probably sat with a glass of red friday night thinking into the playoffs absolutely flying air must have opened twitter up to read his plaudits and seen that he's being linked to be removed and wayne rooney's coming in and Lo and behold, Eustace is now left, and looks like Wazza's coming in. So, Laurie, a bit of reaction to that move from Birmingham. Um, yeah,
1: a little bit similar, not not exactly the same, but a little bit similar to the Bournemouth one in the summer, where Gary O'Neill did a really good job, I thought, last season for Bournemouth, and they've sort of they went down the route of replacing him with maybe a a sexier name that plays different style of football. My worry with the Birmingham one is, is that. Obviously, they've got an American ownership, got the sort of Tom Brady thing hanging in the background. And it feels like they're looking at Wayne Rooney going, wow, that's a massive name that will sort of boost the franchise of Birmingham City and take us into a new realm. And us English fans know that it doesn't really work like that. Um, and I just worry, it's it's not by any stretch of the imagination, it's not a... Um, A definite that it's going to be a disaster, but I think Birmingham fans are a little bit worried about sort of six or seven years ago they had a similar situation where they had Gary Rowett in charge and they ended up getting rid of him for Zola, who came in the one two in 15 and then left just because he was a big name. Um, they they won't want that to happen again, but what I will say is I have seen a few things um, going around on Twitter, sort of what's Rooney ever done. Uh, the last, like the best thing he's ever achieved in English football, is getting Derby relegated. When he was at Derby, they had a massive points deduction and a big transfer embargo on them, and he actually came out of that job with a lot of credit. So it, it's it's a more than acceptable appointment from Birmingham City if they had a manager that was flailing. But considering John Eustace has come out and has Birmingham City in sixth place in a really tough championship, it's a very very bold move um, and one that they're going to have an. Going to have to live and die by, and it's not going to be an easy one for Wayne Rooney to go in there and, and replicate that kind of success because Birmingham haven't been a team that have been in and around it for a long time. So to see them in sixth place lets you know just how good a job John Eustace
0: has done. So very, very interesting to see. Yeah, well, it's, it's really been announced yet, Tomo. Is it like completely done or still? Not, and no, it's not been announced, but it's sort of it is going that way.
2: Um, as a United fan, it's Definitely one you, you sort of keep a keen eye on and, and you and you wish him well. Um it's it's one of those ones where just because of the circumstances, it feels like it could be a bit of a poison chalice for him just because he's coming in, um he's coming in to replace a manager who's doing well already. And yeah. it, it almost feels like the fur at the first sign of it not going well, yeah, it's it's all gonna kick off for him and everyone um everyone's going to sort of get on his back. But I'm, I'm with you, Laura. I think he did, like, I know he got relegated with Derby, but I think he did a good job there. And I think pundits and journalists and, like, fans can can appreciate the job he did there, albeit they got relegated. But the circumstances were, it was like special circumstances, really, wasn't it? And and I thought he created a really good sort of us versus us versus yeah. the world atmosphere. So if he can go in with Birmingham and do that, then um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he does well. Obviously, he's one of my one of my favourite players growing up. So I'll, I'd like to see him do well. But I, I know he hasn't done that well with DC United in, in this spell as manager um, in America. But um, obviously, English football championships a different ball game.
0: Yeah, I I think he'll be sacked by Christmas.
1: <laughs> it's a good I point think... though. Like they're sixth. It's sort of like they can't really get any... They're not going no. to be in the top two, so they're already in the playoffs. Like you say, as soon as they lose a couple of games, if that happens and they're out of it, it looks like a disastrous appointment. So the timing of it's very weird, but it's
0: a gamble when they've rolled the dice.
1: I yeah, just Adam, never
0: ever think real Enigma players, English players, do well in management, like Merson... Um, Gaza. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Walsall is not comparable. Terrible. What about Gaza at Boston? Horrendous. <laughs> now Rooney, it's almost like they're such good players that they go to these football league sides and take them over and just look at them on the training ground and think, you lot are shit. But they're like, right, whip it in and bring it under first time. And these players are like, oh no, not quite got that, was I, so. think,
2: I think Rooney's different and... And here's why, <laughs> a sole appearance on Monday Night Football, which is all I've got to go by, because that's all I've ever seen him do. And I thought he was mightily impressive alongside Dave Jones and Jamie Carragher. So <laughs> and I know Monday Night, being a good pundit on Monday Night Football is not a good sign for a good manager. Take a la Gary, yeah, Gary Neville at Valencia. But I thought he spoke well. Um, and obviously, I, I know we, t- we talked about it and mentioned it again, but he did a good job at Derby, even though they got relegated. So it'd be interesting to see. I'm really looking forward to him coming in.
0: Yeah, we'll wait and see with Wazza. I'm not as confident. And when it's like your favourite player from growing up, you want him to do well, don't you? Um, but I'm not so sure with that one. Uh, and then just a little shout out, boys. Plymouth 1, Swansea 3. Uh, didn't win their first seven games in the league but now they've won four in a row Swan so sli- slowly climbing up through the table um but yeah they've uh they're starting to i think they're up into top half now and cardiff doing well as well so two welsh sides who are, are doing a bit in the championship as well we'll briefly move on to league one so uh two teams who've got 15 points from their last five games portsmouth and oxford portsmouth beat Port 2-0 i think it's Colby Bishop scored a brace for Portsmouth. I think he's got eight in the league now already this season. So he's absolutely flying. Um, And as I say, Oxford won again as well. So those two teams starting to just make some decent headway at the top of the table there in League One. Uh, And Cheltenham won, Derby won, had to be against Paul Warren's Derby that Cheltenham got their first goal of the season. So a young fellow called Rob Street put Cheltenham 1-0 up against Derby. And I can only imagine that was absolute scenes when he scored um elsewhere in league one wins for peterborough barnsley stevenage um who are all kind of trying to keep pace at the top there were portsmouth Oxford, uh, um but that's not all of the weekend action done in league one and if you do need your football fix then i don't know why but burton versus cambridge is on tv tonight in the league i thought is that a derby but they're four and a half hours away um I have no idea why it's been picked for TV. I don't know what the backstory is there, but yeah, if you want to tune in for some Monday night football, that's where you can get your fix. Then just moving on to league two. So four points separate first to eighth now. So I've got an apology to make first up to you two boys. Uh, Barrow one, Notts County one, 87th minute penalty for Barrow, but that costs the, uh, the banker treble. Um, and I've cost everyone's uh, charity of choice some money there as well with that pick. So I can only apologise. Um, I will look to do more research over the international break and look to come back stronger. But yeah, uh, my bad on that one, chaps, because obviously Leicester and the over one. Uh, Stockport 1-1-0 one, one, versus Doncaster. So they're now six in a row uh, and absolutely flying up the table. Louis Barry's carrying them to glory. Uh, Gillingham 2 MK Dons 1. Uh, they're up to third, but they're managerless now. Uh, Laura, have you seen any more on who their manager's going to be?
1: No, I haven't. I think it should be Carl Robinson. I think they'll enjoy that. I think one of the biggest things, I mean, Neil Harris has obviously done a half decent job because he's left. They played one game in their third, two points off top. But I think a lot of the um, criticism towards him is possibly the style of play and it wasn't the most attractive. Carl Robinson will, is someone that will come in and play football there and he's a got a big name for that league and has been promoted before with mk don so um I, that would be my choice i'm not sure who the latest i haven't looked at the odds today i don't know who the latest one is but can i just say the top three now is the top three that i th- said it would be at the start of the season stockport six in a row their manager dave challoner only ever gets promoted promoted various times with filed got hartlepool promoted from the national league to league two got stockport promoted from national league to league two playoff finalist last year I would imagine they'll probably end up romping the league this year um, and still got Paddy, the likes of Paddy Madden up front and I think Nick Powell in midfield this season, haven't they? So, yeah, they are ominous now, I think, Stockport and might end up running away with that league for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, they um six in a row, uh, as we just touched on for them and think they think they will climb on. Um, you're right, Laura, I've just try to get the odds up here. Carl Robinson, two to one favourite um, to beat Gillingham's next manager. He's in six to four elsewhere. Then Scott Lindsay at 2-1. Uh, That's the Crawley manager. Mike Williamson, 12-1. to one. Liam Richardson, 14-1. to one. And Danny Cowley at 14-1. to one. Um, Another team who haven't got a manager, um, Bradford. They won 1-0 versus Swindon. They're 14th, but only four points off fifth uh, and quite a big club. But I've seen that uh, Kevin McDonald, Loro, is even money to become manager there. Uh, then that Liam Richardson and Danny Cowley, and then Carl Robinson. So say, I guess, being the same league, same names would be about there. But um, yeah, Kevin McDonald looks like he's the likely one to go in and take over at Bradford. What's that? Is that the
1: ex-Fulham centre midfielder? Oh, he's at Bradford now, right? So that will be there. He's obviously playing for them, and they've just said that he can step into the shoes type thing. Well, yeah. I don't. We didn't speak about this last week, did we? Mark Hughes, no. that's him. Done. He'll never manage again. Willie, he's gone to Bradford in League 2, fucked it, and they're talking about his centre midfielder taking over. This is a guy who's managed six Premier League clubs. Over. No one else is ever going to be making that jump again just for the love of the game. Husey will be sat at home with his toes out now thinking, right, new career.
0: Yeah, well, it's going to have to be a new one for, uh, for Husey, what? but it does...
2: Why has he got his toes out?
0: I don't know. I was just going to Are move chilling on. chilling out? He's oh, just chilling right. out. <laughs> yeah socks off for Hughesy. um <laughs> uh yeah i i'm um, surprised to see uh see him go there Hughesy, with claiming he was a world-class manager but we had this debate didn't we on would pep guardiola be able to do it in league two and i think that spells that he wouldn't uh Elsewhere, the action round there. Uh, crew lost four two at Salford. Who've now won three in a row after I all but confirmed that Neil Wood would have to go. Um, so, did you, their did you boys? There. Did you boys see Salford's second goal? No, good one. Uh, well,
2: it was Matt Smith's second goal of the day, eighth goal of the in in the of the season um, in the league. But no, basically, crew crew scored, and it looked like. From from the angle I saw, it looked completely legitimate. Got ruled out offside, and the Crew players obviously didn't realise it was ruled out for offside, so were celebrating like mad. And Salford took the free kick as they were celebrating, went up the other end, four against two, and scored to make it two one. Oh, Love to wow. see it. Uh, wouldn't how how and it to be fair, I wo- I watched the highlights and it looked like Crew took more fans, the away like the away. Stand looked looked more full than the home stand. If you know what I'm saying. Um, well, that how sacred
0: they're going to run into that as they go up through the table, Salford, aren't they? Because they're a like community created club, basically by people who didn't want to back United. I think like that FC United Manchester, and they're not they're not going to have a big fan base. So when they start playing these bigger sides in League Two, and they'll be hoping eventually in League One, they'll probably be more away fans than home fans at most of their games. So that's going to be a real problem for them. Mm.
2: Yeah, I went there last year, and I honestly, I was, ex- I was kind of like a half Salford fan because I watched the documentary, and I went there, and the atmosphere was terrible. And albeit they did lose that day one 0 and it was to, who was Luke? Oh no, Louis Barry was playing for Salford that day actually, so he was on loan um at, at Salford. But yeah, the atmosphere was terrible. It felt like a, a tour a tourist club. If you know what I mean, um. And hence why, hence why I was there on a stag do watching the game. Um, so yeah, but great result for great result for Woods. Matt Smith, obviously, think he must have signed like a three-year deal or something because he seems like he's been there for a while, um, and he scored eight goals in League Two now. So obviously doing well. But and they seem to have turned a corner. Um,
1: yeah, good strike at that level, Matt Smith. Yeah, and uh, two words for
0: crew: switch on. <laughs> uh, elsewhere boys just to round up uh, Wrexham one at Crawley they're obviously going to be there or thereabouts and, and keep chipping away at that there Ollie Palmer scored for them and they've obviously got uh, Mullin back as well so those two look like they're going to start causing havoc in League 2 as well but uh, yeah as I touched on four points separate first to eighth in that league so amazing league and great season
2: yeah, and Murph before we, uh, move on to, before we move on to Oval, just point people in the direction League two are playing this weekend. Obviously, it's international break, but not for league two. There's a couple of good fixtures in that in that league this weekend. Um, for people who want to pay attention to that, I assume they do because they listen to this podcast. Wrexham versus Salford, that'll be a very good game. Um obviously Wrexham. We spoke a lot about them. Salford informed now, so it'll be interested to see the result of that. And then Knotts County versus Mansfield. Mansfield remain the only team in the English pyramid or the EFL, um, to be unbeaten this season, albeit they've played 12 in the league and drawn eight of them. Um, but, and obviously we spoke a lot about Notts County, good team. Um, so a couple of good fixtures there to keep an eye out on.
0: Yeah. Thanks Tomo. And if you uh, are coming from my job as host with that sort of angle, then, uh, it should just say. uh, but yeah, um, that's, we're not going to be, uh, podding on Thursday. Are we with international break? We're going to take a little bit of a break, but obviously if people do want their football action, League One and League Two will continue uh, this weekend. Laurie, we'll finish with Averley. You touched on it being a massive game, third v fourth uh, in the National League South, but it sounds like Yeovil blew them away in the first half and you were mightily impressed.
1: Oh, It was the best football I've seen, not just from Yeovil, but from any side in world football for... Uh- a long, long, long time. And, I mean, they won't have XG on National League self-games, but that honestly, that could have been 8-0 at half-time. And the quality in that Yeovil squad at that level now. We've signed a, a right-back called Michael Smith, and he was playing for Northern Ireland internationally within the last couple of years, and he played in the Europa League for Hearts last year. And we've got him because he wants to come back down south because all his family are in Bristol. He used to play for Bristol Rovers years ago. And it, honestly, every time we watch him, it's like, how on earth is this guy not at least in like League One? And we've just got this brilliantly settled back four with a solid goalkeeper behind it. And then the attackers, uh, I mean, that's what we spent most of our summer window doing, bringing in the likes of Frank Nublé and, and Reese Murphy. And um, yeah, Reese Murphy's starting to get in the goals now. He's got 10 for the season already. He's already got the same amount of goals as both the two leading scorers for Yeovil last season combined all year. So good start from him and Yeovil hit the top of the league, which is something we haven't said since probably ten years ago. Um, brilliant, and that was against an side who who were it was third v fourth before the game. So not uh, not any walkovers by any stretch of the imagination, but an absolutely fantastic win and really looking ominous, I think, for the rest of the league. Yeovil are now.
0: And the um well not the pyramid pod treble but the uh, panelist treble landed United leads the overall winning which doesn't happen very often at all so hopefully you boys back that like I did uh right <laughs> uh that's all we got uh, time for guys so uh, as I say we're going to take a bit of a break now for international break um we'll be back in just over a week's time where we'll have a look at some of England's form. Um, and obviously Premier League will be back and preview that but yeah hope everyone has a good couple of weeks and we'll speak to you all soon cheers boys Please, cheers take care one two